Hey, um, we've had a bunch of babies born uh, around here lately. Um, just to kind of bring you up to speed, uh, on June 19th, Nick and Kayla Welsh had uh, a baby boy, Balin. Um, June 25th, uh, Zach and Michelle Wiest had a uh, baby boy, Lauren. And um, just uh, this past week, July 13th, Mike and Hannah Trong welcomed a baby girl, Amelia. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that's always exciting. Friends, you are here. Um, and to think that God knitted you together. We're just talking about babies. And when you think of the, the time that God has committed to working in your life even before you come out of the womb, nine months, think about it. He's working in you and through you. Writing a book about your life. Um, if we could just grasp the magnitude of the great love of God, just in that process alone, how cool it is. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. If you're, um, if you're uh, f- streaming online at the church website, you can go to the video player, pull up the notes there. If you're on the church Facebook page, there's a link to the comment section, and uh, you can pull up your notes there as well. Uh, for those of you that are in the auditorium, I see your masks. Um, you're abiding by the county, and that's, that's good. We have Bibles on the back table. If you uh, want to grab a Bible, you don't have one, uh, you can uh, pick it up and uh, follow along this morning. So, um, I have mine. I have my notes. Um, we're picking up from last week. We're talking about um, Naomi, Ruth. Uh, it's we're in the book of Ruth, right after the book of Judges, and there you have it. So, let's go back in time. Um, Erica did. <laughs> She's going forward. Actually, uh, Christmas is right around the corner, as you know, and. Um, It'll be snowing soon, and that's always encouraging. Um, Man, I walked out early this morning, and man, the humidity just about knocked me over. (sighs) But um, I survived. So we're here. Uh, You survived as well. So we're going back December 12, 2008, the city of San Diego. Uh, There was a strong Christian family, followers of Christ, living in a home, and that particular day, their lives were changed forever. A military jet had mechanical failure during a training exercise. The jet's first engine failed about 100 miles off the coast, and then the second engine failed as the pilot was trying to maneuver to a military base to land the partially disabled plane, but when that second jet went out, Uh, He lost control of the plane, and his only alternative was to eject uh, just before that plane crashed into the home of a young Korean family in San Diego, killing the wife 
her mother who had been visiting from South Korea and their two small daughters, 15-month-old Grace and two-month-old Rachel. Video uh, taken by bystanders to the accident showed that the house had been destroyed in an inferno of flames and smoke, and you can see it on the screen. Uh, there, was, there was absolutely no hope of surviving um, something like that. The husband, the father, Dong Yoon, was at work at the time of the crash. The very next day, he held a press conference um, with uh, the different variety of news in San Diego. And uh, he began his remarks with the request uh, with supporting the pilot who had ejected from the plane and whose plane had crashed and killed his family. He said, I heard the pilot is safe. Please pray for him not to suffer from this accident. I don't blame him. I don't have any hard feelings. I know he did everything he could. And while he was giving that statement, there were two military planes that flew overhead. Not on purpose, not to, not to cause pain, but it was, again, they're, they're doing their military exercises. But just a, another reminder, just the day before what had happened to his family. How could you get through a situation like that, friend? Hmm? How, how can you do that? Well, we get a little hint at the conclusion of that press conference. The husband, the father said, I believe my wife, my two daughters, and my mother-in-law are in heaven with God, and he is taking care of them, which is true. And so you had a world watching this interview, this press conference, uh, demonstrating God's grace to this man who had just lost his wife, two daughters, mother-in-law, just like that. God's grace had been poured into him. And a simple thing to ask is, are you inspired by stories like this where people whose faith is tested and they endure? Don't, don't you get encouraged by stuff like that? Yeah, man, I'm telling you. Um, people whose prayers go on unanswered, yeah, you're, you're in a hospital, uh, the person you care about, you're, you're asking God to heal them, God doesn't answer that prayer, they die, and through that, these followers of Christ have put their confidence in God and it remains firm even through a situation like that. Those are situations, man, where, you know, when people get a yes from God and, and those are cool stories too, yeah, and, and they build your faith, but, but we tend to forget those a little more easily because it's the people who get a no from God but whose faith is rock solid that changes our lives in the world for a very long time. And it's kind of like this family in San Diego, man. This stuff like that, it resonates because it's so easy to give up and quit. It's so easy to, to just point your finger at God and blame him. Well, literally, you become a target for the enemy, Satan himself. I like it 
And I, my mind goes, and I'll tell you this in a minute, when a follower of Christ can say my life has always been in God's hands. And even though God has not answered my prayer, nothing has changed. My life is still in his hands. I'm telling you, it will steal your soul towards Christ. I, I, I think about my dad, you know, in, as his life was ending. I think about my sister when she was diagnosed with cancer and how she died. It was, it was my life is in God's hands. No panic. No blaming God. No, no, no. I saw, I saw confidence in God because this is not my home, really. I'm going to my home. Yo? That's right. I'm going to my home. This morning, you may be on a road that you never wanted to travel. You know, you think about um, Yoon's family, you know. That's a road he never wanted to travel on. He would never vote for that to happen, would he? Nor would you. There are roads that we are on that maybe we don't want to travel and maybe we think it's somebody else's fault. And, and when a crisis or a difficult situation hits the fan in your life, um, suddenly you become spiritually disoriented and you can make harmful choices that will haunt you for a very long time. You're vulnerable. There's no question about it. I've seen people throughout my lifetime that simply give up hope and join the ranks of the living dead, basically, spiritually. They, they, just, they just sign off. We know too well the hard roads of life. There's good people that have fallen off that road and um, it's just too hard to navigate. It's just too hard. And I want to ask you this morning, are you on a hard road? Hmm? Are you dealing with a hard road in your life? But I'll tell you this, just a flare in the air, hard road travelers have always been some of Satan's favorite targets. Yeah, and, and we look at Ruth from last week on how she watched her mother-in-law, Naomi, deal with the loss of her husband and the loss of her two sons. And, and Naomi had pointed her finger at God and blamed him and become very bitter and angry at God in the process. There's a lot of people right here, right now in our world that have become vulnerable to having a target on their back by the enemy because you're vulnerable. You're blaming God instead of trusting God. And um, that's Satan's objective, of course, is to take you out. I remember when I was younger. <laughs> that's not hard to do. That's not hard to do. I was younger yesterday. Um, but anyway, I, I mean, going back decades, when I was a little dude, um, my dad and, and, and his brother-in-law, there were, there were like a series of dads that took their sons fishing up to Lake Vermilion in Minnesota. And, um, and I tell you, man, it's a, it's a beautiful lake. You can see that picture. Um, and my uncle happened to be 
my dad's brother-in-law, he was really into it and he had picked all these favorite spots to, to catch the, the big fish, you know. So I can tell you, I, I have some fish stories, but I'm not going to tell you this morning. You can see that muskie on the screen as well, man. That's the kind of stuff that comes out of Lake Vermilion. It's, it's, it's a good fishing lake. And so um, it's got that kind of reputation. And, um, but here's the deal. Satan uh, is no different. He, he too is fishing, but he's not fishing for fish. He's fishing for the souls of men and women. That's what he's fishing for. And you see that with Naomi. He, he's kind of bumping her, you know, for her to renounce her faith in God. And Satan himself knows where there's good fishing going on. And if you're on that hard road right now, you are a target. And um, he realizes that people in pain often grow for anything that holds a promise of relief, even if it's temporary. And, and, and just a, a side note, once again, we're reminded even with this COVID-19 deal hitting the fan all around the world, it, it, statistics are coming. People are drinking more alcohol. People are using drugs more often because they're trying to cope, man. They're trying to cope with life. Okay? They're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. There is never a time in my life that I could put it on cruise control spiritually and say, I've got it together. I always need to be spiritually alert. Where I'm at, my posture spiritually, am I off balance? Have I just had a great victory with the Lord and I can just put it on, you know, just chill? No, I can't do that. I can't do that. Just like the lures that we used in Lake Vermilion, there's a Rapala lure on the screen with all those nifty little hooks in it. Razor sharp hooks, you know. That, that lure looks so shiny underwater and it attracts the attention of the fish to go take it out for lunch, but instead the fisherman takes that fish out for lunch. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. What, and I want to ask you, before we move on, because this is very important. I want to ask you, what hook does Satan have in you right now? I want you to put a name on it. I want you to identify it because it's very important. You see, we can, we can get so busy with life that we allow ourselves to get hooked by the lure. And Satan is so clever. You know, we think we, think we can go do our thing, but every time he jerks the line with that lure, because he's, we're hooked, he basically controls our life. He can control your life if you let him. And so right off the top, we need to identify, is there a hook in my life? Is there something in my life that is preventing me from, from taking that next step in my relationship with Christ? What is preventing me from reading the Bible consistently? What is preventing me from walking in holiness and purity? What is preventing me from walking in righteousness 
that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross that gave to me as a free gift when I put his faith, when I put my faith in Christ. It is a free gift. Why am I stuck with a lure in my life? It, 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 it is time, it's time, man, <laughs> to stop going along wherever he wants to pull the chain in your life. It's time to get unhooked. What's got you? Well, I know there's a hook. There was a hook in Naomi. And it was the hook of bitterness. It was the hook where she blamed God for the bad stuff that happened in her life. And she, she almost self-destructed in the process. But there, we'll talk about this in, in just a few moments. There was something inside of her where she still held on to her faith in God, even though she was bitter at God and angry at God. And I want to tell you something. If that's you today, that's the cool thing about this book of Ruth. And as you read the Bible, you'll find out that people are very transparent in the Bible. <laughs> you need to find yourself in the Bible. Maybe we have some Naomi's in this room or watching right now. You're bitter at God. You're angry at God. It seems like he just checked out, man. You had, you had fighter jets crashing into your life and they've taken everything that was so important to you away. And so, what hook has you right now? Proverbs 10.9, and I, I love the book of Proverbs. How about you? People with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. Proverbs 4, 25, 27, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. You notice Solomon, when he writes this, he's not saying God will take your eyes and fix them on what lies before you. God will mark out a straight path for your feet. No, it says you. You look straight ahead. You fix your eyes. You mark out a straight path for your feet. You stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to stay on that safe path. And how do you do that? You need to read God's word consistently, man. That will mark out a straight path for you by reading his word. David, writing Psalm 119, 110, said the wicked have set their traps. In other words, they've got their lures out after me. But I will not turn from your commandments. In other words, David has committed himself to strict obedience and following after God. That's what you and I need to do. We need strict obedience. We need that self-discipline. We need self-restraint. We need delayed gratification built into our lives. Because in the world, they're saying, whatever you want to do, do it, man. Go for it. Everybody else is doing it. 
In Psalm 119.7, I, as, as I learn your righteous regulations, I will thank you by living as I should. I love that verse, man. Um, David is saying, as I read your word, basically, I will thank you. So I will thank you not only with my words, but by my actions, by living as I should. See, we, we thank God living a holy and righteous life. We're thanking him. We are. We're saying, Lord, I'm so grateful that you died for my sin, that you gave me this gift of eternal life. And by doing so, Lord, I'm going to follow after you. That's my way of saying thank you. It's that love relationship. And so we, we go to Ruth. We go to Ruth. And some of you say, finally. <laughs> that was, I know that was kind of a strong intro, but um, we're building a foundation here. So let's go to Ruth uh, chapter 1 and pick it up at verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malan and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. And the two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other named a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malan and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. You see the jet crashed into her life. How does she respond? Father, we thank you for your word. And man, 2020, July, we, we started this year never thinking, you know, all this stuff that hit the fan in our world this year would have happened, but it did. And so we have, a, we have a responsibility to respond to it in a very Christ-like way. Not getting bitter or angry at you, Lord, but instead saying, Lord, use this to allow me to grow more like you. And we thank you for that. God, help us to apply your word today. Uh, Obey it as a way of saying thank you for your great love. Amen. Judges 21-25, we hit it last week, the tail end of uh, the book of Judges before we jump into Ruth. And you get this gives us context for the book of Ruth where the people of Israel are living and how they're living their lives. It basically says, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And I can tell you that when people blow up the Bible and say it is, it is not relevant for today, that verse right there is enough to say it is. Yes or no? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the people of Israel were just doing their, their own thing. They, they weren't living for God. They were living the way they wanted to. God was put in a closet somewhere, shut the door on them, turned the light off, and said, God, have a great time. Sad. It's a sad 
sad story. But we see number one, trouble hits the fan. There's a famine came on the land. Every time you see famine in the Bible in the Old Testament, it's usually connected with God's discipline on his people. I'm just going through the book of Amos myself, my Bible reading, and I encourage you, if you want a little background on famine in the Old Testament, Amos hits it. He hits it pretty well. And God is judging Israel again because they have turned their backs on him. And famine is in the land. So, trouble hits the fan, and that is famine. Um, uh, Let's look at that ground. Look at that. Is that how your heart looks right now? Hmm? Is there famine in your life? Is there famine in your soul? I'm telling you, if you have a hook in you that lures got you, that's your soul right there. You've got to do something about it. You need to call on the name of the Lord. Absolutely. Number two, trouble forces me to choose. Trouble. Just like Mr. Yoon had to trouble forced him to choose, will I become bitter and angry at God? Will I walk away from my faith in God? Or will I dig in, trusting him through it all? See, that's, a, that's him. Naomi has a decision. You and I have a decision on this road of life. How are we going to deal with the jets hitting our life, our special stuff, our stuff we love? Bethlehem is the house of bread. That's what it means, and it's famine. The man, Elimelech, the father, the husband, has a decision to make. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he decides to move to Moab, 50 miles east. Um, You can see the map, uh, just a reminder of where that's at. He crosses to the east. Bethlehem's five miles south of Jerusalem, so he's going 50 miles around the Dead Sea into Moab. And, uh, you know, Moab uh, literally means desire. When you look at what goes on in Moab, they sacrifice their children on an altar to their god Chemosh. It's a perverted way of living, destructive, and yet... For some reason, Elimelech decides to bring his family there for safety. And Elimelech's name, my God, is king. He's seemingly running his life the way he wants to. He's ignoring the name his parents gave him. My God is king. No, he says Elimelech is king. I'm going to do what I want to do. Is that how you're living your life? Hmm? Hopefully not. And... um, Verse 3, Elimelech died. Naomi was left with her two sons. Verse 3b. Uh, verse 4 and 5, they married Moabite, her sons. Ten years later, both her sons died. That left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. And pain. Pain. The target is on her back because she's vulnerable. How is she going to respond? 
Number three, trouble prepares me for God's grace. Verse six, Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. So somehow a memo came out to Naomi that God was blessing Israel again with some good crops. There was food on the table. And Naomi was basically saying, I've had enough of this country. It's been bad for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my daughters-in-law and go back to where God is and where God's people are. Um, there was, God was pouring his grace back into the nation of his people. The, the grace of God. The grace of God. Hmm. The Lord has come to help his people again. And maybe you feel like you're in Moab and you've, you've, you've stiff-armed God and God has been calling. And you choose to go back to that relationship that you aborted. His arms are wide open. His grace is being extended as we see here. Number four, decisions to be made. So this trouble of famine hitting the fan, Naomi realizes that God's grace is being extended to her country once again. But she has a decision to make. And verse seven, with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. So you see these three ladies, um, they are, they are walking towards um, Bethlehem. They're on the road. They're on the road again. And as they're walking, uh, Naomi just kind of is thinking, you know, um, hey, hey, my uh, Orpah and Ruth, what, what's going to happen when they come into this foreign country, Bethlehem? You know, they've never been there before. But um, on the way, verse 11, uh, Naomi says, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? And so in this conversation, uh, Naomi is presenting this option. Hey, Orpah, hey, Ruth, you can go back to Moab. You you know, we've kind of made a halfway, you know, we're about uh, 25 miles from Bethlehem. are you sure you want to go on with me? You know? And Orpah thinks about it and she says, you know, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go to Bethlehem, to a foreign country. I, I, I feel more comfortable with the country I grew up with. And she, she decides, I'm going to go back. But Ruth said, no, I'm going to go with you, Naomi. Even though you've kind of been a inconsistent example of who God is, the way you've responded to God. There's something, though, in you that has opened my heart to God. Philip Yancey kind of echoes this unfair world. He says nobody's exempt from tragedy or disappointment. Even God himself was not exempt. He, his only son, who was sinless, uh, he suffered and died unfairly for the sins of others. I think all of us would say that's true. 
He did not deserve to pay for my sin debt. He was a holy, sinless God, but he became sin for you and for me to take our sin in full. Crazy, crazy. That wasn't fair to God, but God loved you and me enough to allow his son to be treated unfairly so he can identify with each of us. And Philip writes, at once the cross revealed what kind of world we have and what kind of God we have, a world of gross unfairness and a God of sacrificial love. Isn't that true? So true. uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, again, another moment when God says no and he's praying for God to say yes when their adopted daughter, Marie, five years old, they had adopted from China was accidentally run over on their property. And they tried to resuscitate her back in May 2008, asking God in the hospital to do a miracle. God said no. So were they going to point their finger at God? Like Naomi? Or would they respond like Mr. Yoon did in San Diego? So Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote um, the book Between Heaven and the Real World, My Story. And that's kind of how it is, isn't it, friend? Between heaven and the real world. We're living in a real world and it's broken. And bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. It's not fair. Life is not fair. And we have to understand that. And Stephen writes, I got to finally share in great detail what that journey was like and how desperate I was and determined that God was going to answer that prayer or I wasn't going to leave the room, talking about in the hospital room. It took my wife whispering to me and encouraging me that the answer wasn't going to be what I wanted at that moment. In other words, God was saying no. I believe it's a process of having to trust God. It really comes down to a matter of choice to say, I'm going to trust you as foolish as it may feel right now, but I have nowhere else to turn. And Stephen concludes, it still doesn't make sense, but I've never felt God has abandoned us. Friend, there's another example of a couple, a family, saying my life is in God's hands, and even though life doesn't make sense, God has still held me in his hand. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. Look at verse 13. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Do you get that sense of bitterness in Naomi? For all of you Andre Crouch fans out there, I, when I was going through my notes, the song came to me, Through It All, by Andre Crouch. Back in 1995, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong, but in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. 
Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. It's good, huh? Good? Well, that's not the end. I thank God for the mountains. I thank God and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. Here it is. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Andre Crouch had to make a decision. He went through some horrific things in his life. But he wrote about it through it all. I've learned to trust in God. How about you? Number five, a wise response. This is, Naomi is opening the door for Naomi to go too. You can go back, you can go back, Ruth, you know, to your homeland. Go ahead, it's, it's a fine. But look at 14b, Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. In other words, I'm not going anywhere. I am not going anywhere. This is a picture on how you and I need to live our lives with Jesus Christ. We need to cling to him. We need to cling to the cross. I am not going anywhere. Naomi's kind of playing Satan's advocate here, you know. You may have a friend. You may have somebody that you hang out with, and when life turns south for you, they lean in and say, you should just give up that walk with God. You should just back away from it. You should just compromise. See? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let the Lord get a hook in you and see how that is. That's something we need to be very, very aware of. I love it. Ruth clung. That word clung, the Hebrew verb, emphasizes Ruth's Strength and love for a mother-in-law. It's the same word that describes a man and woman being, being joined together as husband and wife. It's the same word that describes a person staying faithful to the Lord. We cling. We cling. No turning back. So point one. This woman says, hey, don't try and talk me out of it. Don't talk me out of it. I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Matthew 10, 38, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. That's what Jesus said. What's, what's that all about? Well, in this picture, uh, with Jesus carrying his cross, if you lived in, a Roman, in the Roman Empire and you committed a crime and people that were walking to Walmart for the day or, or going uh, you know, to the grocery store, Miller's or whatever the case may be, and they saw somebody walking down the street with a cross, that only meant one thing. What did it mean? They're going to die. They are on their way to dying. That, that was the only thing it meant. What Jesus is saying here in Matthew 10, he says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. In other words... In other words, as we take up the cross to follow after Christ, we are dying to what we want to do. Living my life the way I want to and what my peers are living their lives like. I am on my way to die to self and to live for Christ. That's what that means. Luke 14, 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. 
your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That's the kind of determination Ruth showed her mother-in-law. I'm not going anywhere. I am not, I am not going anywhere. I am, I am committed to you and the God that you serve. Andy Stanley tells the time when he went to visit China and uh, he knew the owner. It was an American-owned leather goods factory and the owner uh, was a friend of a friend and, and he invited Andy to tour the factory And uh, before the tour began, he introduced a Chinese girl in her 20s who had worked her way from the factory floor to management. And and, um, so the the owner asked Andy if it would be okay if this woman shadowed them in the tour. Two hours later, they were back in the office for kind of a quick recap. And as they were wrapping up, um, the owner asked, does anybody have any questions? And to the surprise of everybody in the room, this young woman raised her hand and said, I have a question. And she turned towards Andy and she said, are you a pastor? (laughs) He never said he was because he's in China, man. He didn't know if this was a Chinese agent working for the communist government or what. He said, yes, I am a pastor. And then she said in her broken English, Two years ago, someone gave me a CD of your sermon. How good is good enough? I listened to it over and over. Then I asked Jesus to save me and live inside me. And before I was empty, but now I am full. And then she went on. She said, I wanted, I wanted to go to church, but there's no churches in my city where I live. I began attending a Bible study in an apartment close to where I live. And sometimes I ride a bus to church, but it's over two hours away. And I'm always late. The bus ticket is very expensive. And I, I don't know anybody at that particular church. And then looking at her boss, this young woman said, can I ask the pastor another question? And her boss said, yes, you can. And she asked, pastor, why doesn't everyone in America go to church? And Andy said, "Um, I had no... I didn't know how to respond. How do you explain thousands of empty, thousands of empty churches to a young lady who would ride two hours to attend a church in another town? A young lady who would be there every time the door was open if there was a door open. The Bible study she attended was part of a network of underground churches, what the Chinese government refers to as unregistered churches. Her participation put her at risk. Owning a Bible put her at risk. Talking about attending church in front of her boss put her at risk. Imagine her shock if she were to discover that not only do most American Christians not read the Bible, 
In most churches, there is a closet full of Bibles that have been left behind. I don't remember how I responded, but I haven't forgotten her question. It's bothered me ever since. No turning back. No turning back. We have it so easy. We have people that, you know, uh, wearing a mask to church or not wearing a mask to church, it's enough to keep them away. And friends, something's not right. If a woman in China will take a bus for two hours, how does a mask relate to that, huh? Yo? No turning back. And Father, I recognize that this may have been a little a little heavy, but God, we are dealing with heavy issues today. And unfortunately, we can allow ourselves to be led with a lure, a hook in our lives that takes us where we don't want to go, but we make excuses why we can compromise, why we don't have to read our Bibles, why we don't have to go to church. Lord, will you forgive us, man? We, we need your help, Lord. We need your help, Lord. We really have it so easy. And yet we become bitter at you. We become angry at you, Lord. Life is not fair. It wasn't fair to you, Lord, but you did what you knew was right. And I pray for each one of us this morning. Search me, O oh God, and see if there is anything offensive in me. Search me, O oh God. Search me, O oh God. We give you permission to search me, O oh God. Search me, O oh God. That's the cry of our heart today, Lord. Search me, O oh God, and see if there's anything that's displeasing to you.
Ruth be that example in each one of us today. No turning back. I'm clinging to you, Lord, with everything I have. Yes, I am. And so, Holy Spirit, do your work in each one of us today. In Jesus' name.